The main goal is to reconnect people with nature, and we do that by bringing bees right to people's workplace. I have bees on the roofs of outlet malls and in business parks, financial centers, all across the valley. How do you do that? You go in there and say, hey, you guys doing anything with that roof? I'd like to put some bees up there. That's pretty much it, yep. <laughs> so I've got, I've got the pitch down. Exactly, huh? yeah, you could be a beekeeper. <laughs> Welcome to For the Love of Mesa, the show where you get to meet our makers, the people who are turning Mesa, Arizona into the hottest hotspot in the Southwest. I'm Brian Nissen, and for today's episode, finding sustainability on the Fresh Foodie Trail. There's more than great artisan food on the Fresh Foodie Trail. You'll find stops that will inspire and grow your love for the natural world around us. Pretty people having fun now. Salt River in the summer or the springtime. I have a friend who, like me, grew up in the late 60s and early 70s. He told me once that he had a grandfather everyone loved. He was warm, gentle, funny, and intelligent. So it was a bit jarring when his grandchildren would see him finish a fast food meal in his truck, wad up the wrappers, then toss them out the window. You can't do that, Grandpa, they would say. Why, he'd ask, gesturing to the great outdoors. Look at all this space. My friend, like a lot of children at that time, was probably influenced by a famous TV commercial that started running in 1970. It featured a Native American man canoeing through a pristine river in a forest. But soon, he's cutting through polluted water. He enters a busy city harbor. The trees have been replaced by belching smokestacks. When he reaches the riverbank, it too is strewn with waste. Soon, he stands at the edge of a crowded freeway. Some people have a deep, abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country. A passerby tosses out a bag. And some people don't. The contents scatter at his feet. People start pollution. People can stop it. A single tear rolls down his cheek. Write for Pollution Booklet, Box 1771, Radio City Station, New York. That ad is widely considered to be one of the most effective in history. It sparked an important change. Because, as my friend pointed out, it wasn't just his decent grandfather who tossed garbage out of his car window. Everyone did. At least, that's how it seemed. Today, the environment is front of mind from international alliances to businesses to everyday citizens. And Visit Mesa is doing its part too, by adding sustainability stops on the much-vaunted Fresh Foodie Trail. One of the stops you'll find along the way is the Freeman Corn Patch, near the corner of Brown and Center. So right now, the population is anywhere, and each hive is anywhere between 10 to 20,000. I'd say in that one, that one box hive is probably about 10,000. That's Amanda Harder. She's an urban beekeeper for a company based in Montreal. Alveol, it's called. Although the Google Translate lady says it differently. Alveol. I'll have to trust her on that. French isn't my strong suit. It's not even my weak suit. Alveol is a French word 
that means a single cell within a beehive okay. uh, because so much can happen within a single cell. Mm. It's where the young are raised. It's where they store honey. It's where they store pollen and food. And the, the wax is their home. So that single cell, although it seems small, when you look at the grander scheme of things, you see that it's actually a bunch of cells and they're all supporting each other. And when you say cell, you're talking about the octagonal the hexagonal, yes. Hexagonal? Yes, six sides. Evidently, I'm also not very good at geometry. The main goal is to reconnect people with nature, and we do that by bringing bees right to people's workplace. Okay, let me just explain. Amanda's not going to show up at your next HR meeting, throw a beehive into the room, and shout, Reconnect to nature, everyone! No. Alvell and Amanda have an inspired plan. I have bees on the roofs of outlet malls and in business parks, financial centers, all across the valley. How do you do that? You go in there and say, hey, you guys doing anything with that roof? I'd like to put some bees up there. That's pretty much it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got, I've got the pitch down. Exactly. Huh? <laughs> yeah, you could be a beekeeper. We need reconnection because something on our side, the human side, is broken. I think a lot of people have just gotten out of touch with nature. Mm -hmm. um, we see a bug and we get scared. Yeah. When you become so removed from nature that uh, the lack of knowledge starts to turn into fears, that's where mm -hmm. things kind of become a problem. So mm -hmm. people are scared of bees because they just don't know everything that a beekeeper knows about sure. them. I'll confess that while recording the bees, I was happy the microphone was at the end of a 10-foot pole. But it's important that we're endeared to the bees. They need us, because something on the B side is broken too, and it has a name. Colony Collapse Disorder. Colony Collapse Disorder. The mysterious disappearance of an enormous amount of bees. It was a leading story in late 2006 and 2007. Although the occurrences have decreased in recent years, it's still happening, and it remains a troubling phenomenon mostly because scientists aren't sure why it happens. Most think it's a combination of many things. Chemicals, climate change, habitat disruption, and... Pests inside the hives uh, are evolving, and they bring in new viruses that are also evolving and affecting bees in different ways. Will scientists have a solution soon? We should all hope so. Bees are actually responsible for pollinating about a third of our food. So we're, we're much more dependent on bees than we realize. It's estimated that honeybees pollinate $15 billion worth of crops each year. A prolonged collapse of the bee population would be devastating for the environment and the economy. So for Amanda and Al Vale, reconnecting people to the environment and bees in particular is job one. And the stop at Freeman Corn Patch on the Fresh Foodie Trail is where they get to work. What kind of reactions have you had from people when they, they come up and, and interact with the bees and learn about what you have to tell them? My favorite reactions are the initial ones. You know, when people see me open a hive with no protective gear on, it's a lot of shock. It's a lot of yeah. excitement and nervousness and anxiety. Um, but there's something incredibly therapeutic about working with bees. So once I encourage people to kind of face their fears and hold some bees, yeah. a frame of bees up close and take pictures or just interact with them, you can see that anxiety start to fall away and they become more curious. Amanda's bees have become social media influencers. It's a site called My Hive. Uh, each hive that I manage has a homepage yeah. and there'll be posts every time I go and inspect the hive. And it's just a really cool way to see 
what's going on inside the hive without actually having to be there. Do you resent the fact that they're more popular than you are? Absolutely not. They are. I am way more camera shy than they are. I see. They photograph a lot better. Do I understand this right, that I would never see you in one of those white suits that have the hood and uh, you just don't do that? You don't do that. Correct. Yeah. It'd be, a, it'd be a very special occasion if you saw me in one of those. Most of the time I am not wearing protective gear or if the hive is just having a bad day. Sometimes they're a little grumpy, so I'll put a veil on. Um, but for the most part, it's it's relatively safe for me to work with the hive. I don't get stung most of the time. So you're okay with an occasional sting? An occasional sting, yeah, it's good you're for like, you. You're like, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah you got a point there. Yeah. The outreach is working. Once people have that connection, they start to fall in love with the bees. And when you love something, you want to protect it. When you love something, you want to protect it. That's the whole point. Visit Mesa has a unique way of promoting the sustainability stops and all the locations on the Fresh Foodie Trail. We've put geocaches at the doorsteps of all of our farms. That's Michelle Streeter, Visit Mesa's Chief Communications and Content Officer. Recently this happened to me. I went to a park and I saw a bunch of people in clusters standing around at different places of the park looking at their phones. And these people are geocaching, right? Yes, they are. They're There's... looking for hidden treasure that's connected to their smartphone. They absolutely are. And what, what they're defining as treasure, not everybody would define as treasure, <laughs> just so you know. Um, our geocaches, we put in a series of stickers um, that people can collect. That's been really fun. So when you do find the geocaches yeah. on our tour, you'll open up our tins and you'll see a bunch of just odd knickknacks, right? And these tins and knickknacks, they're all virtual just to make sure that... No, no. Add geocaching to the things I don't understand. So when I say hidden treasure, it, it's literal. Someone's gone out there and buried a treasure or hidden a treasure or something like that? That person would be Visit Mesa's brand ambassador, Sabrina Custer. She's also the troubleshooter when the geocachers report a certain problem. It's called a DNF, a did not find. Sabrina says it just happens sometimes. And whether it would be just the normal wear and tear of people sitting on the bench, they would knock it off with their foot and yeah. then not know what it was, throw it away. Um, you know, we call them muggles. People who are not a part of the game, <laughs> who are not geocachers, they're called muggles. Muggles, sure, yeah. Fast as she can, Sabrina works her wizardly magic. She has a bag of tricks in her trunk, including yep. glue and magnets and everything, and she will go off and she will fix that geocache in no time because it's only a matter of minutes, literally, before the next person goes out there to find it. Geocaching has proved to be a valuable tool. We have seen so much engagement since we started these geo tours, but I can tell you once you're there, you're going to go inside and you're going to peek around the corner and you're going to learn more. And when you're at the olive mill, you're going to go learn about all this incredible olive oil that's being grown in Arizona. When you go to Schneff Farms, you're going to learn about the peaches. And when you go to learn about the bees, when you click on that geocaching app through uh, geocaching.com, we tell that story there as well. And and that's Geocaching 101. But I get it now. It's a sophisticated Easter egg hunt every day. Yeah. Every day's Easter if you're a geocache person. Absolutely. All right, you muggles of the world. Keep your hands off the Eltoid tins. You'll find another sustainability stop on the corner of University and Wrecker Road in Mesa. It's called True Garden. It's part learning center, part giant greenhouse. When you walk in the front door, you'll instantly realize you're in for a new experience. 
but talk about what people will see when they come in. So our goal was to show people how we can grow vertically with 90 to 98% less water. So when we look at these vertical towers, that's what we're doing. That's Troy Albright, the owner of True Garden and a pharmacist by trade. And yeah, you heard right. He's growing vegetables in towers. Those towers have, I don't know what you call them, but I'm just going to say there's holes all around this tower uh, where you might see a head of lettuce growing out or a clump of any sort of thing. But there's no soil in that tower. I know. Explain it's, that. It's very mind-boggling. Um, you know, we're so used to always just growing in soil. Yeah. Um, this is a form of vertical hydroponics called yeah. aeroponics because your roots are, are hanging in air all the time. So then when the water and nutrients turn on, it gets pumped up to the top and there's a shower cap. So then you're just using the law of physics, gravity. It rains down, hitting the roots, and then these plants uptake those nutrients that they need and they recirculate that. So we can grow a lot more in that small space and it grows a lot faster. So you could have like a three inch seedling that's only three inches tall. Yeah. 21 to 28 days later, you're gonna have a full head of lettuce. It grows that fast. And, it, and it's just what's happening is that it's being fed by the water. All the nutrients that would naturally occur in soil are in the water that is feeding it. That is, is correct. Am I saying that right? You're saying that exactly correctly. Exactly correctly. Well, to quote Sam Cooke, don't know much about geometry or the French I took, but evidently I'm dialed in on vertical farming. You know, people uh, that are true, you know, believe soil is the only way. Well, soil is just a grow medium. I mean, it just seems like it's an answer to everything, to take it, take it out of the horizontal concept that we've done for farming forever, and to do it with less water seems like a miracle. Is that, is that how people react to it when they come there? They do. So my greenhouse is about 5,000 square feet, mm -hmm. so it's about one-ninth of an acre. Mm -hmm. And I can grow the same amount of food in that greenhouse as if I was growing on an acre of property. It's a ninth of an acre. So a ten, you know, basically a tenth of the space. Exactly. And you're growing as much food as you could grow on an acre. Exactly. Actually, we're growing probably 10 times more because we're growing year round. People's reaction to the greenhouse, which has nine foot towers, as opposed to the six foot versions in the learning center is universal. Well, they can't believe you can grow so much food that quickly. Mm -hmm. And they'll look at it and they're like, is this for real or is this, I mean, the produce looks fake even. Yeah. I mean, the bib lettuce looks fake. I mean, I have people that are like, gosh, when I have my wedding, I just want to have your produce as my props for my wedding because <laughs> they're so beautiful. And then as they start tasting the produce, they're like, oh my goodness, this is how it tasted when we lived in Iowa and Minnesota and you yeah. know, where all these farmers are. And they're like, we don't have this taste anymore. When they walk into the uh, learning center where we have our farmer's market, yeah. The first thing they, that they realize is the smell. All of a sudden, they have this living food smell, and they're just like, what is that? Because people forget that our food has been processed, yeah. grown in other parts of the country or even the world, and it travels an easily 1,500 miles to get to our plate. So by the time it gets there, it travels in these cold uh, trucks to keep it from spoiling. Yeah. And it loses, a, what, 50% of its uh, nutritional value as well as flavor. And there's all these studies to show that. So it's not just that you can grow it, but you can grow it and it tastes better. Exactly. We use no herbicides, fungicides, pesticides. We're using organic seeds. Well, I'm glad to know that you can almost start a side business of flower arrangements for weddings. The idea of vertical farming didn't start with Troy. This was actually developed in 2006 by Tim Blank. He was working for uh, Walt Disney World. Epcot. 
they have this tour there that you can do. And he realized that, you know, as, as the world keeps growing in population, food was going to become an issue. How are we going to feed people all over the world? Aside from vertical gardening being efficient, tasty, and good planning, there's something else that Troy is going after. So our goal is to, you know, as we're part of this uh, foodie trail, is get people inspired to grow their own food, and then they're going to be healthy. Is that where this whole thing started for you? Was it a quest for better health? How did you, of all the things you could have chosen to do with your life, how did you get into vertical farming? About uh, 10 years ago, I was having a big bout of um, gum disease. Mm. Even my daughter, who was 19 at the time, in, uh, you know, as we looked at nutrition... I thought, well, what better way to, to fix our, our gut, our gut issues, with food we grow. So we started doing that, and I went three months, and then I went back to my dentist, and, and he, he couldn't believe, you know, what did I do? What did I, and I go, well, I just changed my nutrition. I'm growing my own food. Um, we're looking at, you know, putting just the least processed foods into our body, doing pure products. Hmm. And uh, he's like, well, we're not going to have to do a gum transplant, his daughter also got a miraculous result. For Michelle, adding True Garden to the Fresh Foodie Trail was a no-brainer. Once I saw what uh, True Garden was and what Troy was doing and just, um, just the self-propelled mission that he was on, mm -hmm. it was pretty incredible. So now, geocachers find their way to True Garden all the time. I see people drive in and they're looking around and all of a sudden they go right to where the geocache is and the exciting part about it is they're bringing their children. Yeah. If we can get our kids involved in raising bees, growing their own food, our society is going to become healthier. And when these families go inside, they can learn, maybe buy seeds in a tower, and get started. They can also buy Troy's fake-looking but unbelievably real and tasty produce every Wednesday and Friday at a farmer's market set up inside the Learning Center. Is this our future as a species, the way that you garden? I believe so, because you look at how urban sprawl is happening. Mm -hmm. We're taking over more farmland. And to feed the world, we're going to have to figure out how to uh, increase our production. And mm -hmm. I do believe it is the future. I turn back to Amanda for the final question. What about you? Do you see, what, what future do you see as it pertains to bees? Uh, my ideal future would be a beehive on every block. Um, I think that if the future is home gardening, um, then the future would also need to include bees. Bam! Just like that, Amanda brought it all together. And Troy jumped right in. I have toyed with the idea of having a little hive that they can be indoor or outdoor where they could have access and fly around indoors and do their thing and then train them to go outdoors too. So. That's something that's been on my list of research and I just haven't had time, but now I know someone that is an expert, so. Be happy uh, to collaborate. Yes, yeah, could be a great thing to do. Heard it here first, a collaboration that's gonna change the world, right here. I love it. I've long noticed that there's something wonderful, almost serendipitous that happens when good people get together and try to do good things. You start to see new connections. And this group just kept connecting. You know, the other thing I just wanted to yeah, say, please. you know, since we're autistic certified. In fact, we're America's first autism certified city. We're developing programs for those children. and At True Garden. At True Garden. Okay. And these autistic kids are incredibly smart. It's just a matter of 
reaching out to them and making sure we understand how they work and how they learn and giving them tools to where they can have a, a safe spot there. So it's, that's, that's a part of our business that we expect to really grow. Visit Mesa's Fresh Foodie Trail. Good food and good people doing great things. For Visit Mesa and for the love of Mesa, I'm Brian Nissen.